A man who escaped a Missouri jail and stole an Oklahoma patrol car was captured. Also, a Cleveland officer was accused of soliciting over 2,000 women by way of his department's database while he was on duty. Both articles are from police1.com. I'm Peyton Bimes, and we are on duty. Boy, this is fun. In Sedalia, Missouri, Travis Lee Davis was arrested as a suspect in a kidnapping case. When officers first arrived to arrest Davis, he was trying to hide in the attic of his garage. Chief Matt Wirt said, I quote, He tried to get away from the officers through going over the rafters, but officers were able to grab him when he got over by a wall and quick- quickly handcuffed him. After Davis was arrested, he complained of a medical issue and was therefore taken to the hospital and was found to be fit for confinement. Davis had been taken to this jail five weeks prior after a hostage situation that had taken place in Buckner Court. After escaping on the 9th of March, there was a two-state manhunt for Davis. Davis was later recaptured in Hevener, Oklahoma, but ended up stealing the patrol car in which he drove for a mile and a half before crashing it. He was suspected of later stealing a pickup which he used to travel back to Missouri. He now sits in isolation in the Pettis County Jail in Sedalia. A Cleveland, Ohio officer who had already been charged with soliciting prostitutes is now facing more charges of the same nature. Sergeant Michael R. used a government computer and the accompanying database to find and send messages to 2,300 prostitutes while on duty. Michael was suspended without pay and was also facing 11 more misdemeanor charges of soliciting prostitutes. Michael was put on restricted duty on January 31st. Travis Lee Davis must be one of the biggest fans of Ted Bundy I've ever heard of in recent months, because that's exactly who he reminds me of. Uh, Bundy escaped the same number of times, considerably longer uh, in in duration, uh, in comparison to Mr. Davis. Uh, if you remember, Ted Bundy, his first escape was out of a courthouse window, a second or third story courthouse window, in which he landed firmly on the grass and ran into the mountains. The second time that he uh, escaped was, uh, I believe, through a light fixture, the hole in the ceiling for a light fixture, in which he lost so much weight he was able to squeeze through. It was not a very big uh, hole in the ceiling that he that he wiggled his way through, but it was pretty obvious how he escaped that time because of uh, the large stack of books on the ground right beneath a empty hole in the ceiling that was meant for a light fixture. He stayed escaped, though, for considerably longer the second time uh, because he changed his tactic a little bit. Uh, The first time that he escaped, he went into a cabin in said mountains and uh, ended up almost starving because when they got him back, he was very, very frail and malnourished. The second time, they didn't even know that they had Bundy in custody until much, much later. Uh, 
Bundy was very good at uh, changing his appearance. He's what some would call a chameleon. Uh, he looked so different when he was arrested the second time that they didn't know who they had, and he wouldn't tell them his name as well. Um, but later on, it was discovered that it was Bundy, and he remained in custody after that. And uh, if you go on Netflix, there is a documentary. Uh, it has something to do, I think the title is something like the Ted Bundy tapes or something like that. But uh, if you go there and watch it, you'll be able to see all this footage and whatnot and uh, sound bites from Bundy. It is pretty interesting, and it is also something else to see the footage of him being his the lead attorney in his own defense. Uh, it is something to see him fly around the courtroom as charismatic as he was, uh, and ultimately fail and see uh, just seeing it all unfold is something else to actually watch the footage of. But he reminds me of. Uh, or I'm reminded of Bundy when I see the story about Davis because of just the sheer ability to escape. I don't know how the article doesn't go into detail with it, um, but I'd like to know how he escaped the jail and also how he was able to steal the patrol car in which he was uh, arrested when he was in Hevener. I don't know. Uh, you can find that article on policeone.com. It's a great source for law enforcement news and articles, and uh, there's different topics that you can look into as well. So I want to talk about how this department really screwed up when it came to the uh, officer that decided to solicit 2,300 prostitutes using the government computer and the software, or rather the database therein. Um, I find it to be rather disgraceful on both ends of uh, the both sides of the coin here, both the officers, obviously, and the departments, because I find it um, rather hard to believe that he solicited that many women on a government database, which is usually supervised by an outside entity, um, I, I find it hard to believe that he wasn't caught sooner. I know that he already faced charges for it, as the article states, but I've never, I never did see how they, uh, one, how they caught him the first time, or how he was soliciting those prostitutes. Um, I know that around here, where I work, uh, the database used is NCIC, and they have quite the microscope on the people that use it. I've heard many stories of people being fired uh, and not allowed to work in law enforcement anymore even if they were just dispatchers, it still counts. Um, they're not allowed to work in dispatch anymore because they uh, did something exactly like this, except it was like with ex-boyfriends or girlfriends or f just friends that they wanted to they wanted to snoop on pretty much, and that didn't fly with NCIC. So 
you 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 got to wonder. I mean, they, someone probably knew. I mean, he was a sergeant. He was a ranking person in that department, but he also probably had plenty of people supervising him as well. So here's a headline that I did not share earlier. Actually, it's not a headline, more of just a topic. But I saw an article about one Sergeant Mark Dennis, and he decided, um, being in the position that he was, his position, by the way, is um, he's supposed to calibrate machines uh, used in the forensic lab uh, to certify that they are working correctly. I believe it's on a monthly basis that he's supposed to do that. He didn't, um, but what he did do was falsely report that he did uh, to therefore make it seem as if everything was working properly. This kind of reminds me of, and there are multiple cases of this, but um, it reminds me of at least one forensic scientist that I knew of uh, who uh, decided to falsely report results in order to put the suspect or get the suspect that law enforcement had uh, in the position of being guilty. They were trying to uh, make it so the, that law enforcement didn't have to work so hard. I imagine this is kind of the CSI effect at play, but in a forensic lab. It's kind of backwards because usually you think that the CSI effect usually only affects like juries or um, like uh, just passers-by to uh, just someone from the outside looking in. Uh, That's not really the case, it seems here. I feel like these forensic scientists think that if law enforcement thinks this person did it and they give you evidence to try to prove that, that is what they're doing. But if it comes back and it tells and the evidence tells you, no, that's not the guy, then that's perfectly fine. That happens all the time. But if you want it to play out like a movie or a TV show, then yes, every time they give you evidence for the first dude that they bring in, the first person that they bring in as a suspect, uh, you should... Uh, you, you should definitely falsify those reports and not listen to me at all. Um, but yeah, no, that it's always been one of my pet peeves. Um, I myself am a police officer, and I went to school and got my associate's degree in um, crime scene investigation, and we studied a broad spectrum of things related to <clears throat> crime scene investigation. There was a lot of forensics. We did cover a major we we covered quite the quantity of uh subjects that surround law enforcement and one of the biggest things that i hated was hearing about uh forensic scientists that would falsify reports because who can who can people in law enforcement trust to give a solid result if not uh the forensic scientists that they have to send those uh, pieces of evidence to. Because I know around here, uh, where I work, uh, the I work in Kansas, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, their forensics lab is uh, the only place that we can send our stuff. Uh, 
to get tested. And <clears throat> if, uh, if they start falsifying reports, then we're kind of screwed. I mean, there's other ways to get and that you can get enough evidence outside of forensic evidence, but it, it's definitely a more solid, uh, ground to put yourself on if you uh if you just make if you just get the forensic evidence sorry um because forensics is just that good and we've accepted it as one of the most uh admissible pieces of evidence uh that can make a case for you well, I'm glad you guys have joined me this week. Go ahead and join me next week. Uh, we will talk more about headlines, topics, and I'm sure I'll have a few more stories to tell. And I'll give you my opinions on everything that I come across. This is Peyton Bimes, and this is On Duty, and I will see you next week.